listening to the Long Hollow Young Adults Podcast. We are the Young Adults Ministry at Long Hollow Church, located in Hendersonville, Tennessee. If you are interested in learning more about us or looking to attend one of our gatherings, you can follow us on Instagram at LHYoungAdults or visit longhollow.com for more information. And now, a message from our Young Adults Pastor, Dylan Young. Good evening, everybody. It's great to see all of you. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name's Dylan, and I am one of the pastors here at Long Hollow. I'd love to meet you afterwards if you'd come introduce yourself to me, but so good to see all of you. And tonight, if you want to go ahead, and you can be opening up your Bibles to John chapter 9. We're kind of continuing this tour through the Gospels this summer. John chapter 9 is where we're going to be tonight. The, uh, the John's toward the back of the Bible. The big numbers are chapters. The little numbers are verses that help us stay organized. John chapter 9. Let me ask you this as we get going tonight. I know this probably doesn't apply to any of you. Was anybody ever stubborn about anything? Okay, we even got hands. I wasn't even asking for raised hands on that. We got confession happening already. I like it. Uh, hey, sometimes we get stuck in our ways. We get stuck in a mindset, right? Like, and... Oftentimes we end up finding out we're wrong on something. Like, you know, used to people thought the earth was flat and there's still a few people out there. But for the most part, we all agree that the earth is round and it's not the center of the universe. We're going around the sun, not the other way around. Some of you, maybe you're stubborn in how you operate when you get sick or have an injury or something. If you're like me, the last thing I'm gonna do is go to the doctor because there's probably somebody on Instagram that can tell me how to heal whatever it is that I've got going on, right? Then maybe you're, maybe you're somebody that was at Light Up the Pike and you saw that storm coming and you thought, that's not coming over here. And you like tried to will it away from the church and you failed miserably. And the hardest one for me probably is, you've, if you've been around very long at all, you're well aware that I'm a Kentucky fan and I'm not ashamed of it. But hey, we got, there was a woo out there somewhere. Uh, but I grew up in Knoxville, right? And I grew up going to a lot of Tennessee football games. And by way of that, I was convinced that Neyland Stadium is like the center of all things evil. And that was, that was what I was convinced of growing up, right? And then a, a problem happened for me. I married a UT fan. And it was like, man, maybe at some point I'm going to have to admit that like running through the tea on a sunny October Saturday Maybe that's pretty cool. If I, if I have to, if I can admit that, that's, real, that's my confession for the night, is that's actually pretty cool. Y'all, sometimes we get stuck in our ways and it's really hard for us to admit that maybe we're wrong on some things. And tonight as we study John chapter nine, we're gonna see a healing that Jesus performs and we're gonna see some different perspectives on what happened in that scenario. What we're going to see through six different miniature conversations is we're going to see people that are really close-minded to what Jesus did. And we're also going to see some people that are open to what Jesus has for them. And my hope for you tonight is just that you will walk out of here open to whatever Jesus would have for you in this life. Would you be open to life looking different than maybe you thought it did? Would you be open to God doing something in your life that you didn't expect and actually being willing to see it and accept it in your own life. Because sometimes we get stubborn. And, and y'all, it can mean, this can mean different things in, in wherever you are in your spiritual journey. But I hope you'll walk out of here tonight 
open to whatever God might have for you. And we're going to see through these different conversations, some people that were stubborn and y'all stubborn a lot of times is just a word we used to describe ourselves that honestly is just a nicer word than arrogant. Sometimes we're arrogant and we try to pass it off as stubbornness and that's not really what's happening here. So we're going to see a couple, a type of intellectual arrogance, a type of spiritual arrogance. And what I want to do at the end tonight is give you just a warning with, with those things. And also I want to leave you with an encouragement to go tell your story. So we're going to see a powerful story that happens within this text too. So our first conversation in John chapter nine just starts in verse one. And you can read along with me. This is conversation number one. As he was passing by, and we can stop right there. If you're taking notes, if you're underlining things, go ahead and underline that phrase, as he was passing by. We're not gonna go into all of this right now, but you'll see that phrase in a few different places throughout scripture. Usually it's referring to God revealing himself in a way. We see God puts Moses in the cleft of a rock and he passes by him to show him his glory. We see Jesus walking on the water and it says that he intended to pass by them. And when you see that phrase pass by, it's, it's God revealing himself in a way. And we see that in this passage. Keep reading with me. As he was passing by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind? Verse three, Jesus responds, neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus answered, this came about so that God's works might be displayed in him. Let's pray as we begin. God, thank you for your word that we can open and study. Lord, I pray tonight that you might open our eyes spiritually to whatever it is that you have for us. Would you open our eyes so that we might see wondrous things in your word? Would you humble us as we begin opening your word? Would you speak to us, Holy Spirit? We welcome that and we invite it. We ask that you would do something miraculous in us tonight. We pray it all in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So the disciples here, in our context, they're asking a really weird question. What, what caused this man's blindness? Was it his sin or his parents' sin? That feels really weird to us, but to them, this was a legitimate question. Like they're asking their rabbi his opinion on a debated topic. So they, they thought that God could potentially punish someone for their parents' sin or their own sin while they were in the womb. They thought if a child kicked their mother or caused her pain in some way, that that could potentially be a sin that Jesus would punish, with, that God would punish with some physical ailment. And having gone through the birth process, the whole labor, the whole pregnancy, a few times, I can tell you, if that was the case, it would be every child would have something going on. Like you're gonna cause your mother some pain in some ways, right? But this is, this is what they thought. So they're asking a legitimate question for the time. And, and what Jesus tries to get them to do here is go a little bit deeper. They're asking a good question. It's good to ask questions. He wants them to ask a question that goes a little bit deeper. The question is not what caused this man's blindness, but what's the purpose of it? That's where Jesus goes. Maybe that's, a, maybe that's all you need tonight is to stop asking why something happened in your life and start asking, God, what do you wanna do with this? <laughs> maybe you could stop right there. But verse six, Jesus says that this is about to happen to display God's glory and it's about to happen right now, actually. Verse six says this, after he said these things, Jesus spit on the ground, made some mud from the saliva and spread the mud on his eyes. 
Go, he told this man, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he left, washed, and came back seeing. So let me set the scene for you a little bit. Because God said, the, the, Jesus said, the works of God are going to be displayed in this man. And he just got everybody's attention with what he just did. Because if you'll notice, John wrote that this happened on the Sabbath. So the Sabbath was this day that the people of God rest. We, we model God's uh, creation accounts. So he worked for six days creating the world. He rests on the seventh. And God's people model that. They take a day of Sabbath, which is a day of rest. They do no work. And if you fall into this category of work, you've fallen into sin on the Sabbath. So they're trying not to do anything. Like there are a whole bunch of rules and regulations that come along with this. And some of those are from God. Some of those we'll see that the Pharisees add themselves. So all these regulations, in short, everybody's trying to lay low. Like they're not doing much of anything on the Sabbath, except for this guy. So when this guy, he's, Jesus has put mud on his face. He's headed down to this pool of Siloam. It's about a half mile walk through the city that this guy's taken. Think about this scene. Nobody else is doing anything, but this guy, He's blind, he's going as quick as he can, he's stumbling through the streets, he's covered in mud, he goes and plunges his face in the water. He's probably going on too long of a journey. They had restrictions on how long they could travel in a day, and to go to this pool and back would have been too far for the Sabbath. Like everybody, this is when somebody in your neighborhood has an ambulance at their house and everybody ends up outside like wondering what's going on. This is, people would have been pulling out their phones and on threads real quick, talking about what they're seeing here. So y'all think I'm old, but I know what's going on, mainly thanks to Connor. This would have gotten everybody's attention. This, all eyes were on this man, seeing what was going on with him, because he is in just clear violation of what's, of what's supposed to happen on the Sabbath. And because he has everybody's attention, that means God has everybody's attention. I want you to think about that with whatever your story is. And what is God trying to do through you with your story? What, what is he trying to bring people's attention to in your life? This guy, he's got a one-of-a-kind testimony all of a sudden, literally one-of-a-kind. And he goes back and immediately starts telling his story. So obviously people are wondering what in the world just happened. And that brings us to our second conversation, which starts in verse 8. Second conversation is in verse 8. It says, his neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar said, isn't this the one who used to sit begging? Some said, he's the one. And others were saying, no, but he looks like him. He kept saying, I'm the one. So they asked him, then how were your eyes opened? And he answered, the man called Jesus made mud, spread it on my eyes and told me, go to Siloam and wash. So when I went and washed, I received my sight. Where is he? They asked. I don't know, he said. Think about it, he, Jesus told him to go wash, and then Jesus is gone. Like he's going by looking for Jesus and he can't even find him. So we see right here, this, this healing happened. The blind man knows what happened. He even knows it was Jesus. But I want you to notice what he calls him at this point. He calls him a man. He calls him the man Jesus. So what I want you to notice is the, the way he refers to Jesus, the way he talks about him throughout this story. Watch how that grows, and then watch how the, the faith of the other people in the story diminishes throughout the, throughout the account. Because notice, the, the people that are asking the question, they're divided on what has just happened. They're divided on Jesus, what to do with him. Was this legitimate? Should this have happened on the Sabbath? They're real divided on what just happened in this scenario. That brings us to our third conversation. And, and let me say this before we go any further. 
They're on the fence about Jesus. They, they think they're on the fence about Jesus. In reality, there is no such thing as being on the fence about Jesus. If that's where you're at tonight, I would beg you to choose a side. You either embrace Jesus and the salvation that comes through his death, burial, and resurrection, or you reject it. There is no riding the fence when it comes to Jesus. And we keep seeing this divide throughout this passage. Conversation number three starts in verse 13. So they brought the man who used to be blind to the Pharisees. The day that Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes was a Sabbath. John's hammering this home. This is clearly an issue. Verse 15, then the Pharisees asked him again how he received his sight. He's telling the story again. He put mud on my eyes. He told them, I washed and I can see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he doesn't keep the Sabbath. But others were saying, how can a sinful man perform such signs? That's another phrase we're going to come back to, such signs, if you want to underline something. We're going to go back into that in just a few minutes. And again, there was a division among them. Again, they asked the blind man, what do you say about him? Since he opened your eyes, he's a prophet, he said. So notice the little bit of a progression that's been made there. He called him a man to begin with. Now he's calling him a prophet. Well, we're getting somewhere with this guy. But the Pharisees, on the other hand, they're starting to show their spiritual blindness. This man had physical blindness and he's healed from that. These guys have a spiritual blindness that they don't even know themselves. And I do wanna say a word about the Pharisees before we go any further, because they get a bad rap, right? Like if you're gonna call somebody legalistic or if you're gonna blame somebody in the Bible about something, you're probably gonna throw out the term Pharisees just because that's the only one we know. That's the one we blame people with. But I want us to be careful with that too. Like the Pharisees had some really good characteristics about them. Their whole life was dedicated to living a life that honored God. Like they were very, very serious about this. They just got off in some places. And I think that's why Jesus calls them out a lot. You can kind of think about it like the, the coach or the teacher that you've had that, that stays on top of you all the time. Why do they do that? If they thought you were a lost cause, they'd let it go. But if they see potential in you, they're gonna stay on you. They're gonna make sure you hit the greatness that they see within you. They, they don't let it go because they think there's more to you than, than you're achieving, right? I wonder if that's what's happening with Jesus because he spends a lot of his time with them. Man, I think he sees that they have real potential to make a kingdom impact. We just gotta get some things corrected. He needs to see repentance in their life. So don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. Like the Pharisees are not, these just bad guys in the Bible. They have really good intentions. They just get off in some places. But so the, so the issue with Jesus healing on the Sabbath, like we talked about, is that it's an expression of work. He's exerting energy to make this happen. And we see Jesus, he goes after the Pharisees a lot, like we said. And I think he does something really intentional here. That's a, it's an interesting insight in the text. So the Pharisees had put in place one of their regulations that said you couldn't knead dough on the Sabbath. So you couldn't work dough and make bread. You weren't allowed to do that on the Sabbath because that was work, right? Well, come to find out. The word for mud, and this doesn't make any sense to me, but it's how things were. The word for mud could also be translated dough. Like that's not something you want to get wrong on your recipe card, but it's, it's the same word in, this, in the original language. I think Jesus is going to say, hey, Pharisees, I'm gonna go after one of these regulations that you put in place that didn't come from God. And he goes and makes this mud. He needs it, if you will, 
to make this mud to go on this man's eyes. And I think Jesus is just trying to challenge them. He's trying to open their eyes, if you will, to see some of the hypocrisy in what they're doing. Now, on the flip side, as the Pharisees are being challenged, they're doing some challenging themselves of this man, questioning him on what happened, right? And what we're starting to notice, like we said, is that his faith is actually growing. He's becoming more and more resilient as he shares his story. I think the same could happen for you. That's what we're going to get to at the end of tonight. He called him, he called him a man to begin with. He's called him a prophet now. Now we're moving into our fourth conversation. A lot happens in this one chapter. Fourth conversation starts in verse 18. So they think this guy has lost his mind. So they're going to go above him and go to his parents. So that's where the Pharisees go next. Verse 18, the Jews did not believe this about him, that he was blind and received sight until they summoned the parents of the one who had received his sight. So they didn't think, they thought this was just some imposter that looked like this guy. 19, they asked him, is this your son, the one you say was born blind? How then does he now see? And they said, we know this is our son and that he was born blind, his parents answered, but we don't know how, we don't know how he now sees and we don't know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he's of age, he'll speak for himself. His parents said these things because they were afraid of the Jews, since the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed him, confessed Jesus as the Messiah, he'd be banned from the synagogue. This is why his parents said, he's of age, ask him. That's an interesting section. And I think it's, I think it's more about the Pharisees than it is about his parents. But their response to the parents, and who I would assume they had some sort of faith in God, their response is, leave us out of this. Like, we don't want anything to do with this. And I, I wonder if maybe that's how some of you have felt as you've started following Jesus, maybe with family members or friends that have said, man, we don't, we don't want anything to do with that. You can, you can take care of yourself and your faith. Is this a disappointing response from his parents? Yeah. Is it also kind of an understandable response? I think so. But because of what the text tells us there that, man, they know if they believe, if they embrace his whole story about Jesus, that they're going to be kicked out. And that's, they're, they're protecting themselves in a sense. I get it. I don't like it, but I get what they did there. Because that's not what their son's going to do. As we move into the fifth conversation, that's in verse 24. 24, so a second time they summoned the man. They're calling him back. Like they're, they're, they're so dug in on what they believe that they're just going to ask him the same questions over and over again. Verse 24, so a second time they summoned the man who had been blind and told him, give glory to God. We know that this man, talking about Jesus, we know this man's a sinner. And he answered them, whether or not he's a sinner, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind and now I can see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? I already told you, he said, and you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? You don't want it to become his disciples too, do you? Now, this guy, he's getting bold in his faith. He's gone from calling Jesus a man to calling him a prophet to now he's advocating for him and even willing to stand up to the religious leaders in order for, to, to stand up for Jesus. And this guy's faith is growing right before our eyes. The Pharisees, on the other hand, y'all, they've chosen a side. They've chosen a side and they have no choice but to just go deeper and deeper into it because their commitment is to being right. They can't, even if they start to believe maybe they're wrong, they can't admit it. 
They're already dug in on their side and they have no choice but to go deeper and deeper and just ask the same questions over and over again. They're caught in a cycle that they can't get out of because they won't allow themselves to be wrong. Their concern was not with honoring God in this situation. Their concern was with them being right. It's a spiritual arrogance that we're starting to see within them. And y'all, just as a quick point of application, when you find yourself in conflict, this can be the workplace or with friends or anything, but especially if you're dating somebody or when you're married someday, you're going to find yourself in conflict at some point. You're going to end up in an argument. And whenever that's happened to Rachel and I, we've, we've grown a lot in this over 10 years of being married. What I, I don't always want to do this. Usually if we find ourselves in an argument, we'll go our separate ways within the house. We're not like driving away, leaving each other. Um, but within the house, we kind of go to a different room for a minute. We'll cool down. And I don't like doing this, but what I have tried to force myself to do is say, okay, God, I know there's somewhere in this conversation where I'm wrong. And even if it's not with the actual facts of the conversation, like, God, there's something here that I've done wrong. My tone or a facial expression I made that clearly showed some other feeling. There's something I've done in this situation that I need to apologize for. Like I said, I am not perfect at that. I don't like doing it in the moment, but I know I need to. And I would just encourage you to do the same thing. Because if you're in conflict and you can come back to that person and start off with an apology for something, that's going to change the tone of that conversation. It's going to change the trajectory of it and hopefully lead to a quicker resolution than maybe you would have had. And be humble enough to let God show you where you're wrong. Because you're probably wrong somewhere. Moving on from that. The Pharisees, they've dug themselves into a hole. And I love that this man, he responds by man. He digs himself in too. He says, no, I'm not, I'm not budging from what Jesus has done for me. The more he tells a story, the more resilient he is in his faith, even to the point of giving them a little bit of a taste of their own sarcasm, right? Which I think is just funny. Like this guy's gone from the blind beggar to telling the Pharisees the truth in one story. Um, but at this point, as you can imagine, the Pharisees, y'all, they're incensed. They are furious at what's happening and because there's surely a crowd there and they're being humiliated. So here's what happens in verse 28 as this conversation continues. They ridiculed him. You're that man's disciples, but we're Moses' disciples. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but this man, we don't know where he's from, which is a lie, by the way. Just a couple of chapters earlier, they're talking about where he's from. This is an amazing thing, the man told him. You don't know where he's from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but if anyone's God-fearing and does his will, he listens to him. Throughout history, no one has ever heard of someone opening the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he wouldn't be able to do anything. Here's a response to him. You were born entirely in sin, they replied. And are you trying to teach us? Then they threw him out. Y'all, this part of the story is where we have reached the peak of this blind man's faith. And we've also reached the peak of the Pharisees' spiritual arrogance. And there's, there's something to be said here without going into it too deep. Just on the idea of the abuse of power in the church, all I want to say on that is, you see the examples, you've seen the documentaries, you've seen it all, I know you know about it. All I want to say is, God forbid anybody at Long Hollow on this church staff gets to a place where we are unteachable because we work at a church. That is not how this relationship works. 
And I, I hope that goes without saying, but I want you to hear me say it at the same time. If, you, if I ever give you any kind of inclination towards that right there, please call me out because that does not honor God and I need to be called out on it. There's no place for abuse of power in any situation, especially the church. But that's what they do here. They kick this man out from the synagogue and essentially what they've done in this culture, they've sentenced him to a slow death. He has no community at this point. They've kicked this man out and, and that is, that's the depth to which our stubbornness or our arrogance will lead us to. It'll lead us to do things that change other people's lives without realizing the ramifications that it has on them and without realizing what we're really doing. Um, but it begs the question, like, what, what do we do with what we see with that arrogance? So and I want to speak to just two different places you might be tonight. If you're here tonight and you're not already following Jesus, what I would say to you is, for one, really glad you're here. I hope you're finding community here. I hope you have friends that are here. Maybe this can be a place that you start to uh, find your people. But I would encourage you, don't turn down Jesus just because he doesn't fit into the way you view life right now. Don't turn him down just because you can't imagine that there would be a Jesus, that there would be a God out there. Don't turn him down just because he doesn't fit into the boxes you already have in your head. Be, be humble enough to be open to the fact that maybe you're not seeing the whole picture. That's what I would ask of you tonight. If you are here tonight and you would say you're a follower of Jesus, here's my encouragement to you. Be careful not to be so stuck in your religious lane that you can't imagine God working in ways outside of that lane that you're in. Because y'all, God's a big God. And I, I don't want to be the one that, that tries to put him in a box, if you will. And I just wonder... Man, what a difference would it make if we quit trying to call each other out when we have little bitty differences in how we see things or how we view a particular path. What if we stopped calling each other out on little stuff and started trying to work together and figure out ways that we can bring God glory together? I wonder if that might make a difference in what our church communities look like and what the communities around the church look like. Man, don't, don't, if you're in either of those categories, here's what I can say confidently. And hopefully humbly, I mean it humbly, arrogance is not a good look on you. Arrogance is not a good look on anybody. And listen, you are always, always wrong when you resort to insults to make your point. And that's what the, the Pharisees did here. 100% of the time, if you've gotten to the place where you're having to insult somebody to get your point across, you're wrong. You're wrong, and you've lost that conversation if you were trying to win it. That's what I can say for sure about that. But what happens to this man after he's kicked out? Like this, he had a choice here. Why is he so resilient in this faith that is very much in its infancy? Why is he so committed to Jesus? Like, think about it. He's had life with no sight, and he just traded it for sight with no life. And he had the choice to have both. He had the choice to have sight and life in the community and he chose Jesus. The only explanation could be is if he thinks he's found something in Jesus that is more valuable than his physical sight. That's the only explanation for why he would stick to Jesus in this situation. Here's why I think he knows what he's found in Jesus. 
it goes back to that phrase that we talked about in verse 16, such signs. I think it's a really specific reference here to something called the Messianic Miracles. I think, I think maybe this guy had some insight into what was really happening here with Jesus. There were three particular miracles that the Jewish people believed only the Messiah, only the Savior, only God could perform. There are three of them. Here's what the three are. The first one is healing a leper, which we see Jesus do that in Matthew 8 and Luke 5. If you healed a leper, it was thought that only God could do that because in order to heal a leper, you'd have to touch them. And leprosy is a very contagious thing. So if you can touch somebody and heal them without getting sick yourself, you must be God. That's the only way that could be possible is if that's God doing that healing. The second one is this, is casting out a demon of a mute person. So we see Jesus do that in Matthew 12. So the procedure, the process for casting out a demon at the time was to communicate with that demon, call it by name. There had to be a conversation happening there. Then you could call out that demon by name. But if the person is mute, then there was no voice to be heard. So if this person is mute and has a demon in them, they thought that only God could do that, and we see Jesus do that. Now, what would you guess is the third messianic miracle? It's healing a man born blind. Why is that a big deal? We see people being healed from blindness. We see people come back and have their vision today. The key here is that he was born this way. There's potential that he didn't even have eyes to begin with. Like this man was born blind. Here's what's happening. Jesus is not restoring sight. We see other people do that. He's not restoring sight. He's creating sight where there has never been sight before. Only God could do that is what the Jewish people believed. Y'all, this man didn't just gain physical sight, right? He gained spiritual sight into who Jesus really is. And he was absolutely convinced that Jesus is who he said he was. That's why this guy was so resilient, because his eyes had been opened to the fact that the way to life has to be through Jesus. I mean, if that guy can do that for me, that's got to be the guy. That's got to be the way to life. He believes it enough that he'd rather give up his own life than to, have, than to deny Jesus in that situation. But that would be kind of a rough end of the story, right? If he's just excommunicated, and that's the end. That really stinks for that guy. What do we see happen? There's a sixth conversation that happens, thankfully, as we look at verse 35. Jesus heard that they had thrown the man out. And when he found him, he asked, do you believe in the Son of Man? Now remember, the guy has not seen Jesus. He went, he went and washed in the pool. He was healed, but he's never seen Jesus. He doesn't know what he looks like. Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? He asked. Jesus answered, You've seen him. In fact, he's the one speaking with you. I believe, Lord, he said, and he worshiped him. Y'all, this is one of the beautiful truths of Christ. Jesus wants you when nobody else does. When you're at your loneliest moment, Jesus still wants you. you know, if, with the risk of being really cheesy, think about it this way. The Pharisees shut him out. His own parents copped out, but Jesus sought this guy out. He came looking for him. He heard that he'd been excommunicated, and he said, no, that's one of mine. I got to go see that guy. Y'all, he wants community with you, even when nobody else does. And he, he asked this man the question that we all need to ask ourselves. 
do you believe in the Son of Man? He says, yeah, I do. Who is he? And Jesus says, man, you're, you're looking at him. I'm right here. I'm the one you've been looking for. And man, I pray that some of you tonight walked in here and you've been searching and you don't even know what you've been searching for. And you need somebody to tell you that that thing, that hole you've been trying to fill, the void that you feel in your life, the brokenness that you have, it's all, the remedy is found in Jesus for all of it. And you've been waiting for somebody to tell you that you didn't even know it. I'm here to tell you it's Jesus. That's the solution for every issue that you can come up with in life. That's where life is found. And John tells us later in chapter 20 that this is why he wrote this whole book. This is why he documented Jesus' life. He says this, just so he wrote this book so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in his name. Now that's why Jesus wrote. That's why he included this story. That's why I'm telling it to you now, that you might believe in Jesus and find life in his name. You know, maybe, maybe you feel like you can actually relate to this formerly blind man a little bit. Maybe your life isn't exactly what you thought it was going to be. This guy's life sure isn't before or after his healing. This is not the life that he would have planned for himself, right? And what I want to encourage you, whatever your struggle is, maybe it is a physical ailment that you have. Maybe it's a difficult circumstance in life. Whatever it is, consider this. Maybe... God wants to use it. Maybe that's not just in your life because God's out to get you. Maybe it's not in your life because God's not there or he doesn't care. Maybe that's not the reason. Maybe whatever that thing is in your life is there because God actually has really big plans for you. And maybe he wants to get people's attention to look at your life. Maybe he wants you to use whatever that situation is to display to the world that we have a God worth praising even in the middle of circumstances that we would not choose for ourselves. Maybe that's what God wants to do in your life. Maybe it's not just this tough thing that you have to deal with. Maybe it's a story that you need to tell because you know, your story in the hands of God is powerful, no matter how clean or how messy your story might be. So tonight, man, would you tell your story like this man did? Look, it's not even... Like this guy's telling his story and very few people even believe him. But what did it do for him? And the more he told his story, the more he reminded himself of what Jesus had done in his life, the more resilient, the stronger he became in his faith. Man, maybe it would be good for us to tell other people our story, to remind ourselves of the change that Jesus has made in our life. If you know Jesus, you have a testimony. And it, man, it's the best tool you've got to glorify God, because nobody can argue with it. Nobody can argue with your changed life. Nobody can tell you you're wrong whenever you say, man, I don't know, but I used to be this way, and now I'm this way, and the only explanation is that Jesus changed me. It's exactly what this man did. Would you go tell people your story? Because you do actually have more in common with this guy than you probably realize. You may not have been healed in your sight, I mean, you know, if you know Jesus, your heart has been healed. You've been you're going from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. You've had a miracle happen in your life too. And one day, your story is actually going to end a lot like this man's did, just in a different setting. Because one day, your face is going to be sight too. Because one day, you're going to stand in front of Jesus as he welcomes you into eternity. And you're going to realize, man, this is 
the guy. This is the Savior. You're going to look him eyeball to eyeball. And the only option you're going to have, the only response you will want to have is just like this man, to stop and worship for all eternity. Let's begin that now. Let's pray together. God, I pray that you would remind us of how good you have been in our lives. Lord, would you help us to be quick to tell other people what you've done for us, whether that be the salvation that we found on you, whether that be some sort of healing, whether that be redemption that you've had with a family member, reconciliation with a roommate. God, will we be quick to tell the stories that you have performed in our life? Lord, we are so grateful for the salvation that we found in you. So grateful for that miracle that happened in our hearts spiritually. Lord, I pray that you would all, that you would give us all a boldness to go tell our stories. We pray all of this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.